0: Welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore one of the more diabolical deeds attributed to the fairy folk that lurk in the dark forests, and that is exchanging human babies stealing human babies and replacing them with their own monstrous children which are known as changelings yes changelings and so dive in straight in to begin at the beginning the eminent folklorist reverend Elias Owen tells us that It was firmly believed at one time in Wales that the fairies exchanged their own weakly or deformed offspring for the strong children of mortals. So people believed that the fairies were sneaking into their homes swapping their children for these weakly or deformed offspring as they're described. And we are told that this replacement child left in the cradle or elsewhere in the house was commonly called a changeling. So the changeling was the name given to the baby, this weak, deformed baby that was left in the cradle in place of the human baby that had been stolen. And to continue the description, this faith, we are told was not confined to Wales. It was common in Ireland, Scotland and England. It was common all over Britain and Ireland. And before we take a look at some of the creepy real life or supposedly real life tales, Owen does point out a few examples of this belief in popular works of literature from days gone by. For example, we can quote Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. And it's been a while since I've quoted 16th century poetry on this podcast. And it goes like this. And her base elfin brood there for the left. Such men do changelings call so changed by fairies theft. So, Spencer tells us that the Fairy Queen was out and about swapping babies for changelings. And soon after, England's greatest playwright, William Shakespeare, was also alluding to the same superstition in his own fairy-filled masterpiece, A Midsummer Night's Dream. And he tells us that a lovely boy stolen from an Indian king she never had so sweet a changeling. And if that wasn't enough poetry and Shakespearean verse for one episode, don't worry, we are nearly finished. There is one more example from Shakespeare which does help us with the tales on this episode. And this time it is from Henry VI Part One, And it goes like this. Oh, that it could be proved that some night-tripping fairy had exchanged in cradle clothes our children where they lay and called mine Percy his Plantagenet then would I have his Harry and he mine and in that quote King Henry is wishing that his own son Harry had been swapped by the fairies with Hotspur which is quite different from our other examples for two reasons. Firstly, most people don't want their children stolen by the fairies. King Henry here is an exception of the rule. He wants his child to be stolen. And secondly, if you've been paying attention so far, you'll know that the fairies swap children for their own Changelings for their own deformed children. They don't swap children for other children to order. You can't send them a wish list saying, "You know, I'd I'd rather have a kid with with blue eyes, please." Can you sort that out for me? It doesn't work that way. You get what you're given, and that is that. Even if you are the king of England. Now, if we move north into lovely Scotland, where? As well as in some other countries, the fairies, we are told, were credited with stealing unbaptised infants and leaving in their stead poor, sickly, noisy, thin babies. What a description and just what you don't want. Poor, sickly, noisy, thin babies. But in Scotland, you could avoid that fate by having your baby baptized as specified it is unbaptized infants that are stolen and one tradition we are told specifically in the western isles of scotland is that fire carried around a woman before she was churched and round the child until they were christened daily nightly and morning Preserved both from the evil designs of the fairies. So you can protect your children by walking around them in circles holding fire. Which, under the circumstances, is a small price to pay to avoid being lumbered with a poor, sickly, noisy, thin baby. Now, that's how things worked in Scotland. What about back down south in Wales. Well, there's a poem that was published in the Welsh language journal a Brothon. and I'll read a verse to you in Welsh first, and then translate it into English, and it goes like this. Flower plantentig ith gwent pan a cumrant helent here. ar at anoil da rieni idrgwannai divry dear. Which means Many a lovely child they've taken when long and bitter was the pain from their parents loving dear to the fairies dread domain, which is a very poetic way. Well, it, it would be poetic. It's a poem, but it's a very poetic, a very Welsh, a very bardic way of telling us that many a lovely child was stolen Away from their parents. But that's enough reciting verses for now. Let us turn to some more good old-fashioned folklore. And head to the 19th century. When it was believed that the fairies were particularly busy in exchanging children on one night of the year. And that was Norse Oil Ivan. Or St John's Eve. Thursday, June The 23rd. If you want to put that in your diaries now, June the 23rd is when they are most active swapping children. And an old man called John Williams, who lived in the Penryn Quarry District, claimed he could reveal strange doings of the fairies in his neighborhood. For often had they changed children, even children from well-to-do families but more he would not say lest he should injure those prosperous families so according to mr williams fairies were busy swapping children of even the wealthiest families in and around penryn quarry district in the 19th century but He didn't want to reveal any of the so afflicted families, presumably because maybe, maybe those changelings were still there. Maybe they were never swapped back. They grew up into adults. And who knows, maybe people he walked past on a daily basis, maybe people he spoke to in his community had once been those changelings in the cradles. I don't know. That's all a bit hypothetical. But what I do know is the good news is that there were effectual means for protecting children from the fairies machinations. And these effective means are, if you want to write these down just in case you need them on June the 23rd, to quote the mother's presence, the tongs placed crossways on the cradle and The early baptism of the child. As with Scotland earlier, the early baptism of the child were all preventives. So there were measures you could take to try and protect your child while it was in the cradle. And you'll also be glad to know that there are ways of getting your child back if indeed it is stolen, because To quote, after an exchange had been accomplished, there were means of forcing the fairies to restore the stolen child. But before we look at those ways of reclaiming your child, it should be pointed out that let's call them unscrupulous parents could use these methods for their own selfish reasons. Because we are told that mothers who had sickly or idiotic babies would in uncivilized places gladly embrace the idea that the child she nursed was a changeling and then naturally enough would endeavor to recover her own again the plan adopted for this purpose was extremely dangerous So to recap that, apparently some mothers, some fathers too, presumably, if they had what are described as sickly or idiotic babies and they wanted to swap them for, presumably again, healthy and clever babies, they could also use these methods in effect to try and trick the fairies into actually giving them a changeling i guess so it works both ways not only were the fairies stealing our babies we could try and steal their babies but whatever your reasons whether you're a genuine parent trying to get your child back or an unscrupulous parent trying to trick the fairies either way it was extremely dangerous to attempt to do so And one man who recorded some examples of these superstitions out in the wilds, as it were, out in Wales on his tours, was the much-travelled and the much-published Thomas Pennant. And he recorded how a woman who had a peevish child acted to regain from the fairies her own offspring. And this tale takes place in the 18th century and concerns a poor cottager who lived near the appropriately named or ominously named fairy oak which is described as a spreading oak of great antiquity size and extent of branches and i am assuming this is fairy oak in whitford in modern day Flintshire. Pennant doesn't specify, but he was certainly in in that part of Wales in the north east. And this poor cottager, we are told, had a child who grew uncommonly peevish. And the parents attributed this to the fairies. Always blame the fairies. And they imagined that this child was a changeling. So they took the child, put it into a cradle and left it All night beneath the tree. Beneath that fairy oak. In hopes that the Tulloith Teg. The Tulloith Teg which I probably don't need to explain to regular listeners. But if you've never listened to this podcast before. The Tulloith Teg or Tulloith Teg is the most commonly used Welsh language name for the fairy folk. Which means fair family or something similar. But they left their child in its cradle under the tree under the fairy oak overnight in the hopes that the Tulloith would restore their own child before morning and when morning came they found the child perfectly quiet so went away with it quite confirmed in their belief so in that example it all seems rather straightforward just leave your baby overnight underneath the tree and when you return in the morning you will find your original baby the correct baby waiting for you what could possibly go wrong well we are told that these people by exposing their infant for a night to the elements ran a risk of losing it all together which Frankly, you don't need old folklore to tell you that if you leave your child out overnight under a tree, something might go wrong. I think I think that's common sense rather than folklore, but to continue. They acted in agreement with the popular opinion, which was that the fairies had such affection for their own children that they would not allow them to be in any danger of losing their life and that if the elfin child were thus exposed, the fairies would rescue it and restore the exchanged child to its parents. So, to clarify, if you leave a fairy child on its own overnight unprotected, the fairies will recognise it as one of their own and take it back and protect it. So, The folklore is telling us that really there's nothing to worry about. They won't let any harm come to this child. Of course, the risk is if it's not a fairy child, but a human child that you leave out overnight. Well, that is when things get extremely dangerous. And so, if in doubt, it's probably best not to risk it. In fact, never risk it. Never leave a baby alone under a tree overnight. It is never, ever a good idea, I promise you. But we have another tale that exhibits another side of this belief. And it's been translated from the Welsh language and passed on orally by the peasantry until the 18th or 19th century when this was published. And this tale, I am told, bears a striking resemblance to a very similar story told in ireland which i can't confirm or deny but maybe if one of my lovely irish listeners finds this tale familiar or you know of a variation of it maybe you could help me out and get in touch but for now the welsh version of this tale which is called the Eggshell shell pottage goes like this in the parish of Treveglus. Near Llan Idlois, in the county of Montgomery, or modern-day Powys, there is a little shepherd's cot that is commonly called tut er the place of strife, on account of the extraordinary strife that has been there. Which, frankly, is one heck of a way of naming or describing anywhere. It's a place of extraordinary strife not the kind of place you go booking for your holiday but to return to the story the inhabitants of the cottage of the place of extraordinary strife were a man and his wife and they had born to them twins whom the woman nursed with great care and tenderness some months afterwards indispensable business called the wife to the house of one of her nearest neighbours yet notwithstanding she had not far to go she did not like to leave her children by themselves in their cradle even for a minute as her house was solitary and there were many tales of goblins or the Tulloith Tig and we all know who they are now, haunting the neighbourhood. So she seems like a very sensible woman. She knew all about the dangers posed by these folkloric creatures said to dwell in the forests surrounding her secluded home there in the wilds of Wales. Maybe, maybe she'd listened to this podcast and she knew all about them. But even so, nevertheless... She went. She went to visit her neighbour and returned as soon as she could. But as she walked back, she felt herself not a little terrified on seeing, even though it was midday, there in front of her what she describes as the old elves of the blue petticoat. Another lovely poetic description for the fairy folk, she sees the old elves of the blue petticoat there on her way home. She was naturally a little apprehensive about what she might find waiting for her when she arrived back home, which is putting it mildly. She was beside herself with terror. But when she got back to her house, she was rejoiced to find everything in the state she had left it. So, to recap that adventure quickly, she went to see her friend. On the way back, she bumped into the old elves of the blue petticoat. But after rushing home, fortunately, all was okay when she got back. Or was it? Because after some time had passed by, the good people of the neighbourhood began to wonder... That the twins did not grow at all. Which is a strange thing to comment on. But the children, it would seem, were not getting any older. They were not growing in size. They were not growing in age. They seemed to be frozen in time. And to quote, the man would have it that they were not his children. The woman said that they must be their children and about this arose the great strife there's that word again a great strife arose between them this argument between a man adamant they were not his children and his wife equally adamant that they were and it was this disagreement this argument this strife which led to the naming of the building and one evening when the woman was very heavy of heart she determined to go and consult a gur kaverwith a wise man or a conjurer, and we've met a few of those on this podcast over the years. most recently, he played on episode eighty six but she decided to consult with a wise man or a conjurer, and feeling assured that everything was known to him, and he gave her his counsel, and what follows is his advice to that woman, and I should warn you. This is a little bit on the extreme side. And as with the tree earlier, I do not recommend anyone follow this advice. But to quote, there was to be a harvest soon of the rye and oats. And the woman is told that when you are preparing dinner for the reapers, empty the shell of a hen's egg and boil the shell full of pottage, and take it out through the door as if you mean it for a dinner for the Reapers. And then listen what the twins will say. So to clarify that quickly, she is to get a hen's egg to fill it with pottage, which would be a very meager, an incredibly unsubstantial meal for hard-working men and to take it outside to the reapers and then listen closely to what the twins say as she does so. And to continue the wise man's advice, if you hear the children speaking things above the understanding of children, return to the house, take them and throw them into the waves of Llin Eber, which is very near to you. But, If you don't hear anything remarkable, do them no injury. And once more, I really think we need to clarify that part in particular because she has been told that if you hear the children speaking things above the understanding of children, If the twins suddenly start discussing nuclear physics or rocket science, something way beyond their years, then you return to the house, you take them and you throw them into the waves of the local river. A perfectly rational response. But of course, if you hear nothing, you do them no injury. So the day of the reaping came and the woman did as her adviser had recommended of her and she went outside to the door to listen she heard one of the children say to the other and as with earlier i will read this in welsh first and then translate that child says gwelais <laughs> visen kin gweled derwen gwelais oi kin gweled ya eriod ni welais derwi I Vedel mun pliskin oy ya. and a non-literal translation goes like this: Eggs before oak, I knew an egg before a hen. Never one hen's egg shall stew enough for harvest men. Which I have to admit, even as somebody who is sceptical of the wise man's method is a strange thing for babies to be saying to each other in either language and to return to the tale on this the mother returned to her house and took the two children and threw them into the Llin. and suddenly the goblins in their trousers came to save their dwarves and the woman had her own children back and thus the strife between her and her husband ended so it was a risky move And I'm not entirely sure why it specifies that they were wearing trousers to save them. Maybe, maybe they need their trousers on to save children from the water. I don't know. But what this tale does do is, once again, it it reaffirms, it corroborates that old superstition that the fairies are looking out for their own. And if they are in danger, they will appear to save them, whether that be under the cover of of a giant oak tree at night or from the waters of a lake or river. And that is how you can swap a changeling baby for a human baby, presumably for your own baby. And that useful piece of advice brings us to the end of another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. But we have not reached the end of the Tales of the Changelings. There are many, many more coming up very soon. And if you don't want to miss those future episodes about the Changelings and all of the other weird and wonderful subjects I talk about, be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can support it by treating me to a coffee via my website, or you can just leave a nice review or give it a quick thumbs up or five stars, whatever the options are on whatever platform you are consuming this on. And if you'd like even more ghosts and folklore, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. And as well as this podcast, I've also published... A number of books about similar subjects, which are available from all good bookshops, offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening, Diork and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time. Keep an eye out for those changelings and Nusta!